Sister Mary Anthony, uh, welcome to Power and Witness. Uh, you are a sister servant of the Eternal Word, and uh, your title is The Triumph of the Holy Cross. That's right, right. And that's fitting, I think, for the topic I wanted to talk to you about today. You gave a, you're telling about a talk you gave on humility, and I was struck by the things you were saying, so I thought it'd be a great podcast we could do. And mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about this talk. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, Father. <laughs> um, should I just jump right in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I was asked to give a talk about humility, which is not maybe what I would have chosen to talk about, but um, because I wouldn't say that's my strongest point, but somebody asked me to give a talk on humility, so I agreed. Um, and I was just kind of going round and round of thinking where to start. And then I thought, well, I should start with Jesus, right? Because he said, um, learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. So it's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Jesus says, at that, or at that time, Jesus declared, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for such was thy gracious will. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son, to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Um, Can I just say something there too? Mm -hmm. <laughs> something that strikes me from conversations we've had about this, that this passage, you know, is saying, you know, you've hidden these things. I thank you, Father, you've hidden these things from mm -hmm. the wise and the learned, the clever, revealed them to marriage children. And, and this is like a, a command Jesus is giving to us to be humble. I mean, yes, he does empower the apostles to go out, work miracles and stuff. But he doesn't seem to really command that of all believers. Mm, right. He does command humility. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he is, you know, Christianity and, and Jesus here is the, the preserver, the, the special revelation of humility as revealing God. So mm -hmm. I think uh, that's kind of what we were talking about before. Right. Yeah. yeah. This isn't um, presented as an option. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That humility is... Um, it's part of the Christian life. And it is interesting because it's the only time that Jesus says, learn of me. Right. Um, he teaches us lots of things. But what I thought was interesting about this is that when Jesus speaks of humility, he doesn't say, come here and listen to me and I'll tell you about humility. He says, learn from me. And he shows us humility in his own life, in his own person. Right. Um, and then it's almost like it's contrasted to says, come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That it's like we find that rest with true humility. Right, right. You know, running around maybe trying to, I don't know, you, you build on that. Oh, yeah. But. No, I think it's, it's kind of, we were talking before how Jesus relates humility to finding rest. Yeah. Um, and then St. Peter also um, in his letter, he talks about humbling yourself. He says, humble yourself before God. And then he says, cast all your burdens on him. So he also kind of connects this, come to me, all you who are burdened, um, and humble yourselves, you know, and find rest. So Peter also seems to make that connection. And it's 
very counterintuitive, um, but our culture certainly doesn't have much rest. <laughs> right, and it's almost like, yeah, you say, come to me, you'll find this rest, you'll find humility, or have the humility to turn to me to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And if like our culture is staying in the, and this is our tendency as human beings to leave us in the driver's seat. I want to, you know, drive the bus and I depend on myself, security and stuff and make my own decisions, call my own shots. And uh, that's not the way to find rest. Right. I mean, we find our, find our big, fat, bloated egos beat <laughs> us to death <laughs> with its wants, desires, and right. sins, right? Right. Well, and, and so Jesus is presenting himself as the model um, for humility. And so you think, okay, well, it is counterintuitive when we think, oh, I'm anxious, oh, I'm worried, oh, da, da, da. what should I do to find rest? Oh, I know, I'll humble myself. <laughs> that's, a, that's not our first instinct. But when we turn to our Lord, his whole life is this expression of humility. Um, and that was kind of what I thought of as I was preparing for that talk was just, well, where do we see Jesus's humility the most? Um, and I thought of particularly the two pl places that St. Paul um, talks about it. Well, he speaks in Philippians about the Christ self-emptying, you know, he um, the famous passage um, when he says, I'm sorry, I, I could read it. It's in um, Philippians chapter 2. Um, when he's telling the Philippians to be humble, right? He says, put on the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. This is verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped at, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So first he humbles himself, he empties himself, the self-emptying of the word of God, the eternal word, in the incarnation. And that in itself, that's it infinite act of humility. We can't even begin to grasp the humility of the incarnation, that God, the eternal word, should set aside his divine honor that's due to him. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't reject, I mean, he still retains his divine, his divinity, of course, but, um, but he humbles himself by taking on a human nature yeah, just being pure spirit. I mean, the spirit is a higher order than the material. Material world's all part of creation. So mm -hmm. he's lowering himself that way, right? Supposedly some of the church fathers said, you know, Satan said, I'm not going to serve man. Right. You know, he was shown the plan of God, said, I'm not going to serve even like, I guess, divine, the word taking flesh. That's lowering himself. Right. So he's pure angelic being. Right. You know? So the, sometimes we forget that eternal spirit is higher order right. than the material. Well, and for, you know, an angel to lower himself to a human nature would be way beyond our own comprehension of measure, but it's measurable. But uh, for God <laughs> to, to take... angels are created. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. for God, that is infinite Um self-emptying because mm -hmm. the distance between God and man can't even be measured. Right. Um, and so that, that moment of the incarnation um, is already this act of infinite humility, the fact that God became man. And then St. Paul goes on and he's like, and being found in human appearance, right? He humbles himself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. 
So first God humbles himself by becoming a man, and then like, and that's already infinite right there. But it's, but then he's kind of, well, that's not enough. So I've got to humble myself even more. And I'm not just going to become a man, but I'm going to become, I'm going to humble myself to this death on the cross, this ignominious, shameful death, apparent failure in the eyes of the world, right? And then, of course, we all know that the resurrection was on the other side of that, right? And St. Paul goes on to say that God has glorified him, right? But still, that moment of the passion and death of Christ is, I would say, like the second most um, apparent, where his humility is most apparent. So first, the incarnation, then secondly, um, his death on the cross. Those are the two moments in his earthly life where you see his humility manifest most. Um, first, I mean, he's born in a stable, right? <laughs> like that moment where the incarnation is visible is in the humblest of human circumstances. And then his death is the humblest of human circumstances. Um, uh, but then even that, it's like, so he humbles himself infinitely. Then he humbles himself as much as a man can humble himself. But that's not enough. Like, that's not enough for him. He has to go and humble himself again, right? And so that you see in the Eucharist, right, at the Last Supper, he gives himself to us as not only um, does he take on our nature, not only does he die for us, but then he gives himself to us as our food. And he doesn't even appear as a man anymore. We can't recognize him except on his own word, right? And just the humility of God in the Eucharist um, is what was most striking to me, actually, and what I ended up talking most about when I was giving that talk. Um, just the fact that he places himself so much in our hands. And I remember, you know, Father Angelus Shaughnessy used to talk about it, how he'd say, not even God could have given us any more than he gave him of himself in the Eucharist. You know, he gave absolutely everything that could be given. Um, and that's what was and, so striking. <laughs> St. John Vianney talked about, too, on the cross, he gave us Mary's mother. Like being dispossessed of everything, naked on the cross, he gave his last, quote-unquote, possession of Mary, even. Right. To be our mother. You yeah. Know, behold your mother. Right. And, you know, that, that passage from Philippians, I remember, man, this is a million years ago. I remember hearing a priest preach, though, and he, he was reading the passage, and he said, he said, it's not a, you know, though he's in the form of God, it's not counting quality with God, a thing to be grasped. And I remember this priest, he took his hands and, like, he just grasped, like, held on to it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I never forgot that image, that, that not seemingly he's always divine he's the son of god but he's letting go of that divinity to take on human flesh he's a divine person and joins the human nature divine nature together but seemingly it's like he's not holding on he's allowing himself to become a servant like you mm -hmm. said not just yeah not come and be born in a palace and have the royalty of a king manifested with wealth and the clothe himself with the best things of this world but chose the lowest place and then the cross where he I heard von Balthasar say something like read something where he said you know that he embraced you know fear in like this uh, you know this ridicule and humiliation you know it's like the things we most are afraid of in life you know experiencing fear <laughs> and this public disgrace he embraced that mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's mind-blowing yeah. <laughs> and then and then but but as you say that it's not a thing to be grasped um, somebody translated it as um 
clung to, mm-hmm. right? It's not that he is, in every one of these instances, Jesus isn't um, rejecting his divinity or the, right. or, but he is let it, he's setting aside the honor that is his due as God yeah. out of love for us, right? right? Every right. time, it's always, I'm not gonna hold on to something that maybe is my right, but I'm gonna surrender that or set it aside as secondary for love of yeah. these poor little human beings, <laughs> right? right. Um, and he, yeah, the, uh, he took on just suffering, the result of the fall, the, the suffer and, and in fear, like we, he had that, the agony in the garden where he, we naturally fear death, we naturally fear suffering. He experienced something of that, taking on sinfulness. It's like the stuff we most run from mm-hmm. as the most negatives in life. You know, he he went deep into it. Right. Yeah. Well, and sometimes, I mean, maybe that has to do with that rest, right? Because these things that we most run from, they are inescapable, <laughs> you right. know, like our own weakness or whatever, or right. suffering. We're not going to, no matter how much we run, we're not going to get away from that. Yeah. And so just to turn and sort of pick it up and embrace it as he did yeah. with him, like that is kind of restful instead yeah. of trying to trying and trying and trying and right. trying to right. get away from it, you know? And today it's like we, I think we often try through, you know, like self-medicating it, distract, you know, eating, media, whatever else that we can do, just frenetic pace of life, good stuff, bad stuff. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know just, uh, I just saw this thing. It was like a completely secular thing, but it was talking about like good mental health and it, it's it, it's stressed that we're most happy like when we are just kind of focused and paying attention. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about we're in such a distracted world. I mean, Microsoft did a study like I don't know, like ten years ago or something, and it, it determined like our attention span used to be twelve seconds, in twenty fifteen it had dropped to eight seconds. Oh wow. A goldfish is like nine seconds. <laughs> <laughs> show, but it's like, but they were just saying like a key to happiness is to be able to focus on something. Oh. And and it, it, that struck me. I thought there was a lot of truth in that yeah. actually. But so anyway, I would right. just say all that as a setup right. for this. We're just being torn to pieces. Right. You know? Well, and that's as you say that because um, it's interesting because as I was preparing for this talk on humility, I looked up. I just Googled, you know, humility, <laughs> and, the, and I came up with this article, this secular article on humility, and it was talking about sort of rediscovering humility as a path to happiness or whatever. And this person um, who wrote it, it was surprisingly good, and um, and they talked about the what Google's the full of oh, people. I know it's full of you good stuff. <laughs> I went to the campus there in, in, in California, and I actually talked to some of the employees. You know, they're they're accused of poaching all these the, the best and the brightest globally. Oh yeah, not just this country, but globally. And uh, you had a sense of it. It's like these are some smart people. I always joke with my brother. 
my brother and I will be driving together, you know, we'll be doing the alpha male thing about the best way to get there. And I said, look, I'm going with, you know, Google Maps here. I mean, they got the smartest people on the planet. <laughs> so anyway, what did they say oh, about yes. humility? <laughs> well, they said, uh, first they summarized the teachings of the ancients, right? Which was, you know, brief, but I mean, they talked about how hum for Confucius, he talked about humility as being other-oriented instead of always directed towards self, but looking out. Um, Socrates. That's a big. Yeah, huge. Big stuff. You know, and and then how Socrates, um, just his recognition of how much he didn't know, um, was very humble. And then Aristotle had the most to say, um, and he described humility simply as an accurate self knowledge, um, and the acknowledgement of other person's good qualities and avoiding extremes. Right. So um, not setting yourself above others or excessively lowering others, but just having an accurate picture of reality, uh, the reality of yourself and others and yourself in relation to others. Yeah. Um, and then it talked about several Can modern. Oh, yeah, that? please. You're going to find it hard to get your message out with me. <laughs> <as> you <question. laughs> no, no, it's fine. But you know what I like about you know, Aristotle? He's this great, he systematized all this stuff, this, you know, everything. Like look at arts and biology and all this kind of stuff. And you wonder, like, the really good scientists or the scholars, I think they have a humility right. to be open to the truth, to seek it, mm -hmm. you know, to struggle with it. And there's, I guess there's like a humbling process that maybe, because he never struck me. I always thought like Socrates, you know, drinking the hemlock. <laughs> he seemed more humble to me in some ways. Socrates seemed more yeah. humble. <laughs> But because it's like Aristotle, just you, sometimes you feel like, well, he's got it all figured out. He thinks he does. But, but I, I remember being in school, you know, I was studying physics and I had all these really smart professors, PhDs and Stanford and Princeton, all this kind of stuff. But they had, in many ways, kind of like a natural humility when they talked about these concepts. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think they knew, they knew they might be arrogant in the sense that I know more than you. But they always, I think, I always felt like they always know somebody knows more than them. Right, right. And this, this mystery is much bigger. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to know about. Right. And, and there's I, this bigger truth outside yeah, of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I always, Aristotle strikes me as pretty humble. But <laughs> oh, he does? He does? <laughs> but I guess it's just his, um, well, just the, the fact that he, he got so much truth with with just reason and then you think you know you look at how close he came to the ultimate truth and then we we have revelation and it's like what have we done with it <laughs> you know compared right, to what he right. did with what he had um well i guess i, I appreciate about like the augustinian line the platonic line you got aristotle it just seemed like the augustinian line from what i understand preserved the sense of mystery but i can't completely dissect this mm -hmm. thing yeah and even in the natural world like even in modern physics, it's like the more you know, the more questions you have. Mm -hmm. It's not like they ever get to the bottom of these subatomic particles right. and how they interact and all this. It's like, why are they doing that? Okay, we see this phenomena and they go even deeper and say, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Right. So you're always like, I just seem like the plate is a little bit better. <laughs> anyway. Well, you probably know a lot more about it than I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, um, well, but so this article, then it just went on and it, 
it summarized a number of modern psychological studies about humility and what is humility and what marks a humble person and um, and all the sort of benefits that come from being humble, like you know, better productivity in the workplace and you're a better employee or you're a better employer or whatever. You um, work together better. Right, right. And people are, they like humble leaders. People work better for a humble leader and yeah. all these just yeah. natural benefits to humility. Um, but it summarized it, these two different studies as just like accurate, again, accurate self-perception and portrayal. Um, Other-oriented, again, willingness to see ourselves truthfully, um, ability to acknowledge our own mistakes and limitation, openness for people's input, um, low self-focus, and an appreciation of value of other things outside of ourselves. right? So I was like, this is pretty good, you know? And th but, this, but I thought, but this is what any pagan can know, right? Any good pagan can know this. Um, and then they mentioned in this article something about Christian humility um, as being... Um, more related to sin and shame and self-abnegation. And that got me thinking, I was like, is oh, that? they said that. They said that. Okay. That's what the article was like, well, we're not talking about Christian humility, which is this stuff. And I thought, is that really true? Is that what the saints say and show about humility? Or even our Lord. Um, but I, so I was looking at um, Teresa of Avila, her quotes, she has a lot to say about humility. But the famous Teresa quote is simply that humility is truth, right? Which is what, these guys said, which is what Aristotle said, right? <laughs> um, she said, it is becoming aware, aware of, and accepting the truth of who we are. And then she also wrote, um, we may think that it's humility not to realize that the Lord is giving his gifts to us. Let us understand very, very clearly how this matter stands. God gives us these gifts for no merit of ours. Let us be grateful to his majesty for them, for unless we realize that we are receiving them, we shall not be aroused to love him. Right. So her view of humility was that it is truth. It is recognizing the truth of who we are in relation to God and recognizing the gifts that we have, but just recognizing that they are gifts from him and that they are to inspire us to love him and be grateful to him and not to get all blown up in our own head and think that somehow we deserved it, you know. Um, and then, of course, St. Francis, he said, over and over that humility, I mean, he said, a man is what he is before God, right? No more. Um, but you could also say no less. Um, and that's what struck me too, is as I thought of it, it's like, yes, as a Christian, what humility is truth, but what I know through revelation about who I am is so much worse and so much greater <laughs> than what Aristotle could know, right? Because on the one hand, you know, I'm part of a fallen race, right? I am Wound, a wounded child of a fallen father, like we have cut ourselves off from God and there's nothing that we can do about it, right? That's what original sin means. And now I'm disordered. I experience this disorder in myself at every moment. But then, you know, you enter Jesus, right? And he in himself restores man back to friendship with God. And through his grace, I can now not only be in union with God again, be in friendship with God again, like Adam and Eve were, but, but by sanctifying grace, which is poured into me, I, I am a partaker in the divine nature. You know, like I actually have a created share in divinity and the glory of that is so much beyond what 
any pagan could ever understand like the greatness of what it means to be a human being. You know, it's, it's beyond our imagining. So I am so, my fallen state and apart from God, I am nothing, absolutely nothing. And worse than nothing, I'm a sinner, right? Um, but, but with him and in him, I'm called to a glory that is beyond the imagining of, of any mere human understanding. Yeah, you know what I'm thinking of is uh, John's gospel here, John 12. He says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And mm -hmm. so we find uh, eternal life, you know, through losing our life. I mean, obviously martyrdom or something like that, but also I think like the little acts of self-denial and death that we have to die to ourself, and then we get something much greater in return, a, a perfection of the self, mm -hmm. but the fullness of life you know, the eternal life is divine life right i'm trading maybe the best life i can eke out down here which as you get older you realize so this <laughs> <laughs> this tired poor world can't deliver but um yeah we he's offering us a fullness of life if mm -hmm. we have that humility to die to ourselves right right yeah. um well the other thing you know that i was thinking too there was you know, the saints talk about, I forgot it was St. Benedict, or maybe it's Catherine Siena talks about this, where, you know, one, you know, pride can be like we think we're better than others, or that we're like the source of our own goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, I worked hard, and I've got virtue, why don't you do what I did? Or, you know, it kind of, again, keeps us the focus, the driver's seat, and um, I think that's very prevalent in our culture today. And yeah. You know, I mean, the work ethic and everything. And I, I, you know, I I shudder sometimes in preaching this because I remember one time I met this this mom. She was at a conference, and and she was a, a really, she drove her children hard. I remember she said that every day she would, they'd go to the library and study. You know, I think the kids were in regular school, but. I don't know if they were homeschooled or not, but she wound up, like two or three of her kids like went on to become medical doctors and John Hopkins. And, uh, and I said, and I just asked her, how did you do that? She, well, she just talked about studying and working at it, you know? <laughs> and, it's like, uh, and it sometimes I think there's that combination of nature and grace. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we want to achieve and drive ourselves and the, the world's a good and beautiful place. And we want to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And, and work to acquire virtue ourselves, but to recognize that it comes from God, depends on God, we need His grace, right. and um, we don't just kind of become, what's the word, that, that spiritual passivity, you know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But this sort of vain pursuit of human self-sufficiency yeah, <laughs> right, goes right, right back to the garden. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. But there is there is this balance always between. Um, it's funny because just like for my own self, at one point, 
you know, I'm working on my duty and I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm working and I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is so hard and I'm trying to get this stuff. And, and then like, I realized at one point, I'm like, I can't do this. And then I'm like, okay, God, you have to do it. And then I'm just sort of like waiting for him to do it. <laughs> and then finally he's sort of like, hey, can we like do this together? <laughs> I'm like, all right, it's not just you. That, it's that not just me. That sort of came to you? That, uh, that idea came to you? Yeah. Together? yeah. <laughs> like, Sounds like a marriage. <laughs> Like a partnership. Right? Oh, right, right. It's yeah. true. That's true. But it's, yeah, it's like a month ago, you know, it's like, he's like, hey, you know, like you're always trying to either do it all yourself or expect me to do it all myself. Like, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's. I, I find that in preaching too. It's like, God wants me to do something in preparation. It's <laughs> like, as Father Patrick puts it, you know, we could just give the best of homily. You know, just where you, you pick out things you've said in the past. <laughs> but it's like you, uh, I, I find this repeatedly. You know, maybe I don't have much time for the preparation. We'll do some kind of preparation. Mm -hmm. Maybe I have more time. And either one, he's going to use it. It mm -hmm. seems like he wants that, whether we can give a little bit or a lot, and uh, then he does something with it. Right. And um, yeah. I think that's true a lot. Well, you brought up so many points there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I haven't talked about St. Francis. You want to talk about St. Yeah, Francis? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the four... Oh, let me say one. Oh, yeah. Because, okay, no, no. <laughs> I, you know, I think this is a hard thing for us. It's a hard thing for me. You know, it's like, okay, I got to die to myself. I got to walk through this. I got to trust the Lord. But, you know, if we don't see an experience that, hey, let's do this together, that, hey, God loves me. Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't experience this in the radius of his love for us, it is unbearable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't walk through this. Right. And so. it, it's like, it's true. I can't, I can't do it by myself. I can't do this. Yeah. I mean, even just the Christian life, love your enemies, right. <laughs> you know, or right. whatever. Um, yeah. But, but when, but when we, I don't know, it's like St. Paul, where when we live in him, you know, yeah. um, we don't expect him to do everything for us, but, we can do it in him and yeah. only in him. Yeah. But I, I wonder too, like, it, you know, we get in our heads the ideas that, you know, we forget that passage while we were yet sinners, you know, for moments God loved us, you know, sent his son for us. While we were yet sinners, you know, while we're in our sin, mm -hmm. God loves us. He looks upon the rich young man and loves him right. in Mark's gospel. The young man that's about to reject him and is attached to all this stuff over Jesus. He loves him in that weakness. So I, I think we fall into the trap, okay, I'm gonna get good, then God's gonna love me. Mm -hmm. And I can have this relationship. Mm -hmm. And But if I can get that peace that God loves me, and then I can recognize my, my weakness, and use the term loosely, you know, my depravity, mm -hmm. that, I can recognize it if I believe he loves me. Right. Because that's really what we're, that's really, 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 really <laughs> what we want. I think the pride in everything is like trying to prove that we're lovable. Right. right? Yeah, I so, think you're right. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go to the Eucharist, you said? <laughs> well, I say Francis and the Eucharist Francis. together, okay. I guess. Um, yeah. Well, it just, it was just that some years ago, um, I was thinking about St. Francis and what, and it just struck me that this idea of going back to the original idea of Jesus, the self-emptying of the Word of God, um, is a really key 
passage or lens to look at St. Francis because I never really got him, St. Francis. You know, I was uh, some years. You got a cord on your habit. Huh? I know. I know. I'm serious. Like, and I was just like, okay, whatever, St. Francis. <laughs> But then at one one point I, I realized like because I'd read him and you know, I read these you know Bonaventure's life and I'm like this is just medieval hagiography but I don't um, but then when I looked at it in the light of Saint Francis trying to imitate the self emptying of the word like that all of a sudden made everything make sense right where he sees Jesus humble himself. And so he wants to be poor. So how do, I mean, so how does Francis lower himself? He sets aside everything that is his due as this wealthy guy and goes and identifies himself with this lowest class of people. He humbles himself. He gives away his rich garments to the poor beggar, you know, and goes and lives among the beggars. Um, and then this, you know, and then that, it makes sense of even kind of like the crazy stories about St. Francis, you know, when he's like lying on the ground and he's like, oh, brother so-and-so, come and step on my head and say, hey, Fr Francis is the worst sinner in the world. And, and you're like, give me a break, you know. But then when you look at it and you realize like, no, he's trying to humble himself in imitation of Christ, who humbled himself, even to the point of dying on the cross. He's, he just constantly, he's trying to go lower, 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 lower. And that made so much sense. And then also it makes sense because these three places where Jesus humbles himself are the three places where Francis is so determined that we should exalt him, right? So the incarnation, like these three moments are the marks of Franciscan devotion. The incarnation, like the crib at Greccio and Francis's devotion to the infant. Um, and then the way of the cross, right, is the Franciscan devotion. Francis says, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you because by your cross we have redeemed the world. His devotion to Jesus crucified, his own stigmata, his identification with the Lord on the cross. And then in the Eucharist, like what you see, I noticed in the writings of Francis, um, particularly in his letters to groups, like the letter to the entire order, or the letters to the city officials of here or there, it's it's always, he's pleading with people to surround the Eucharistic Lord with reverence. Um, and that passage that I was talking about in in the one letter when he's talking about the humility of God, and he's, ta he's talking about the Eucharist, and he says, um, well, it's beautiful, I'm not going to read the whole thing, <laughs> but no, about, read, read the whole yeah. thing? Okay. Let the whole of mankind tremble, the whole world shake, and the heavens exult, when Christ, the Son of the living God, is present on the altar in the hands of a priest. O oh, admirable heights and sublime lowliness, O oh, sublime humility, O oh, humble sublimity, that the Lord of the universe, God and the Son of God, so humbles himself that for our salvation he hides himself under the little form of bread. Behold, brothers, the humility of God, and pour out your hearts before him. Humble yourselves as well, that you may be exalted by him. Therefore, hold back nothing of yourself for yourself, so that he who gives himself totally to you may receive you totally. And that is such a, again, it hearkens to that passage in, in Philippians about the pouring out of himself, right? Christ humbles himself. Um, and he's asking us, St. Francis is exhorting us to humble ourselves and hold back nothing of ourselves. That's the thing. God held back nothing. He gave everything to us. And Francis is saying, now we do that too. And of course, like we can't give as much as he gave because he's God and we're not. But like St. Bernard says in his reading, you know, 
it's true the soul loves less because she is less but if she loves with all she is then nothing is lacking when everything is given right so god gives himself to us totally we give ourselves back to him totally and in that way we can make some kind of a return in kind right um and so you see this all throughout francis's writings though when he talks about exalting the lord in the eucharist um, and it, it, I feel like when I read him, it's like he, he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, look, brothers, he won't, he won't stop humbling himself. You know, we've got to lift him up. And so, because he just won't stop <laughs> and we've got to exalt him. We've got to exalt him. Um, and that is what I find that very, um, it's, it's imitable, <laughs> right? It's something we can do um, to, ra- to show reverence to the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and it, it was, it, but, but also just, again, to sit and marvel at his own humility in the Eucharist. And that's what, um, when I mentioned before when we were talking this story, um, where I <clears throat> I'd been talking to this lady and she was telling me she had this little statue of the baby Jesus and she would sleep with it right next to her on the pillow. And then over time it was getting kind of beat up and she was feeling bad and thinking, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this because this statue is getting beat up, you know. So she was thinking maybe she should set it aside and put it, put it up on the shelf because it was getting kind of grubby. And she's like, I shouldn't mistreat him like this, you know. And then, but then she, um, she just based, she received a grace when she, and she realized that, no, Jesus, he wanted her to keep on doing that, you know, because it, he wanted to be close to her and receive her love. I mean, it's a statue, but it was representing the person. And, uh, and he didn't mind that he was getting a little beat up in, the, in, the, <laughs> in that. And, um, and shortly after that conversation, I was away from home and I was at a parish and I went, um, and uh, it was a long story, but I was at this mass at a parish and, and it just struck me during communion, there were a number of things that happened and it just seemed like these people really didn't know that it was Jesus, you know, it was just pretty apparent, like in the manner of communion and it was people were, it was just kind of a circus. And I was like, these people don't know. And I was feeling so bad and I left and my heart was just hurting. And I was thinking, you know, poor Jesus, you know? Uh, and then, I, and then I thought about that conversation I'd had before and it just struck me. And it was like, Jesus, it wasn't like there were words, but I just realized like he doesn't, I want to say this carefully because I don't mean irreverence doesn't matter, but it was like, he doesn't care. (laughs) You know, he's like, I don't care. Like, I knew that was going to happen and I can take it. Like, I want to be close to you that much that I'm willing and more than willing. I'm happy. I do it gladly so that I can be close to you and be close to them. Like these people who don't know that that's me, I want to be close to them, you know? And and I was just overwhelmed by this humility. Like, Mm -hmm. He set it aside and there is a glory due to him and we need to show him honor in the Eucharist and we need to make reparation and we need to go and love him and adore him to make up for those who don't. But it's not like he, he didn't know. <laughs> it's not like he didn't do that on purpose. Like he knew that was what was going to happen and he was like, I don't care. I want to be with you that much. And that's when I think with Francis, like, behold the humility of God and just just let that blow your mind sometimes and just sit with him and um and that's when you can sort of learn from him for he is meek and humble of heart and then when you know somebody um slights your 
whatever honor you think you deserve, <laughs> you know. They look at me with a certain they, tone. Yes. <laughs> they take the last piece of pizza, and I'm stuck with the old whatever, you know, leftovers that aren't as nice. You know, I can set aside my real or imagined honor that is due to myself for, for love of him, for love of them, and think, you know, if Jesus could do that much in order to be close to me, like, really, let it go, <laughs> you know? Um, and that, so that's what um, really struck me as I was thinking about the humility of God was just sort of like letting go. And then, so like practically speaking, cultivating the virtue, I mean, there's, there's a lot. I mean, you could just say, you know, just do it, you know, <laughs> that doesn't really helpful, but. I want to say something there that, uh -huh. that strikes me too about that, that we are all, we're limited, we're distracted. I mean, you know, I know my prayer time is, and this is one thing that secular article about attention span was talking about, mm -hmm. you know, how distracted we are. And, and, um, and uh, you know, obviously we want to try to be focused and present as much as we can, but you can't, I don't know. I, I sometimes I look at it too. It's like, you know, we're kind of doing the best we can, you know, <laughs> with our weak, broken, sinful humanity. And it's like just coming into his presence. He can't help but think it must give him, make him smile. Yeah. That, um, yeah, the saints talk about that. You're know, leaving the troubles at the door and then picking them up when you leave the church and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a struggle, I guess, for everybody. But you know, I was at World Youth Day one time in Panama, and um, when they had this, I was really taken by this devotion title of Our Lady of Antigua. And um, and their cathedral there in Panama is beautiful. I think it's like Our Lady of the Assumption, but they have this beautiful statue of Our Lady of Antigua. And the whole cathedral was redone. And it's not that big at all, but mm -hmm. it's it was beautiful. And the, the statue was off to the side. And and I remember after, I don't know if this was, this might have been after World Youth Day ended, like that last night or something. But I just said, I'm going to go to the cathedral there and just pray. And I'm there. And I, I wanted to pray before the statue. And, um, and there was this big line of people waiting mm -hmm. to go up. You could actually walk up these stairs and touch the statue or even somewhat hug the statue. <laughs> Protestants would be dying to see this <laughs> At first, in my judgmentalism, I was thinking, well, you know, uh, all these people have such a great devotion to Our Lady. But, you know, after praying there for over an hour <laughs> and seeing nuns, teenagers, you know, sometimes their parents, uh, going up and expressing some devotion, you know, I remember it struck me how pleased Our Lady and Our Lord must mm -hmm. be that, yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to put down the cell phone for five seconds, I'm going to go say a prayer, um, and Jesus, I think, says, well, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what, it. it's just, he's so humble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. But I interrupted you. Well, no, that was, <laughs> that, I mean, that, um, I was just thinking, like, as far as practically, one one or two things we can do is is to actually practice gratitude, you know, um, to be thankful. I mean, to stop and thank the Lord, 
first off for doing that. I think that's what <laughs> Father Angels would say oftentimes too, like a grateful heart is a humble heart. Yeah, you know. And when we 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 pray, any I mean, just praying at all is an expression. We we tend to sometimes we downplay um, prayer of petition. We're like, well, I don't want to just go in and ask for stuff, mm-hmm. you know, which. It's true. We don't want to only ask for stuff, but right. but petition. I mean, Jesus told us to yeah. ask, right. um, and and it is an expression of our dependence on God, right? Mm-hmm. To go in there and say, "I need, I need you. I can't do this. I ask you for this and this and this." Like that is an expression of our own poverty before Him, and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Be like, "I do need this," and then to thank Him, you know. And if we get in the habit of like the Thanksgiving at the end of the day before you examine your conscience or whatever, to take a moment to thank God for even just like three or five things or whatever. What I found is if I do that consistently, which I don't do it consistently, but when I do, (laughs) you find that you start thanking him for things that you wouldn't have realized were things to be thankful for maybe at the time, right? If you weren't looking for, I should be grateful for this, right? Even if it's like this was a suffering or this was a moment when I came up with my own weakness or whatever and thank him for that thank him for showing you that um and then also really practicing um just trying to wonder at the beauty of god's creation like get outside look up at something bigger than yourself like you're and even like your professors you were talking about like they're aware of something so much bigger than their own little minds (laughs) right um or selves um and when you stand in front of the Grand Canyon, you know, you got you got to feel a little bit small, (laughs) you know. Um, And then the last thing that I I just this is a something that I think is pretty important for practicing humility and finding the rest we were talking about is um, is really limit social media time, right? Or get off or because so often what we put up there is some projection of this perfect image of ourselves that isn't really real. Yeah. And if humility is truth, um, we're putting something up that isn't necessarily truth. Right. Um, not to say it's not that it's all bad or anything, but but when we put up this image that isn't really in conformity with reality, then we're anxious all the time because we're trying to maintain that, right. you know. And we get into the comparing ourselves with others, and it. I think, I mean, you, there is a direct correlation between the rise of anxiety and the rise of smartphones, <laughs> right? And and all these different um, technological social media things like teenage girls and anxious and depression and suicide and suicidal. So I think they struggle a lot with the comparison. Yeah, right. Yeah. So attractive and things. Like right. Yeah. So I think um, setting that aside or at least really definitely limiting it um, can be a very practical way to start to live in the reality of who right. I am, <laughs> right? right? Which is who I am before right. God. Right, right. Um, yeah. I was, I was in a parish helping out recently. It was a Hispanic parish and a lot of immigrants. And uh, and I was struck by you know, some of the simplicity of the dress of like the young women mm. and it, and it, not all, but there was there was some there that it was just they just I don't know just you just had a feeling that they're just simply being teenage girls. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're growing up, and it's not like super 
you know, the fashion, everything today is super sexualized and everything. And it, it wasn't that stuff. You could, you know, it's just, it's like the radiance of their humanity and their mm-hmm. femininity was, was there without this thing to objectify it. Right. You know? And like social media is just like mm-hmm. objectification of steroids. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, you know, all this too reminds me of uh, like the great of wheat dying, humility, and being a servant through the incarnation and serving us in the Eucharist and becoming the bread of life is, you know, something that, that the Vatican II stated and John Paul just tirelessly repeated was that, you know, we only discover ourselves through a sincere giving of ourselves. Right. You know, that's how we find ourselves. Right. And when we give, not when we're taking, not in that position of, of just having more. Um, and even sometimes even just doing, though, can be too much, you know, and so there's some kind of balance. But and the other thing I think you're touching on is that really it's like we don't get rid of that ego without God. <laughs> you know, that's the only way, mm-hmm. I think, to really be dispossessed of it. Right. Because <laughs> that's the only place I think we get something better. Right. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. The world's telling us, take, 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 feed the ego, what mm-hmm. you want, your desires, your likes, dislikes. And the Christianity is saying, you know, come to me, depend on me, rely on me, and I'll give you something better. Right. Right. That's true. So I'm looking for the best deal. So <laughs> you're offering me a better deal. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's true. It's true. It's incomparable. <laughs> I mean, Father Mark is great, but God is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you, Father. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.